Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. Today, I'm delighted to speak to Shah Hussain. Shah is a senior project manager for National Highways, so a very large organisation within the UK. What fascinated me about Shah is that he has multiple stakeholders and multiple experiences of leading teams, managing potentially difficult and positive relationships. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Juliet. Really happy to be here. So I guess first off, um, tell me about your thoughts on the word introvert and also the phrase quiet leadership. I guess for me, the word introvert, it didn't really kind of come into use in my day-to-day vocabulary until I was probably kind of fairly well into my career and I kind of got into leadership, leadership traits, you know, um, psychometric tests. And that's when I really understood and a lot of um, pieces started to fall into place. Um, If I can just step back a bit and just kind of describe kind of my, my own surrounding and experience how I kind of got into all of this um before I kind of uh, became I suppose uh, a manager where I needed to start looking after big teams before that I was generally speaking I if you didn't know me if I came across in a room I would be that quiet guy in the corner um, and I, you know, uh, my experience and my surroundings is always noisy, there's clutter, and everyone kind of wants attention. And it's something I always shied away from. What I always used to be aware of is the fact that um, I always used to feel drained over time or my energy will deplete very quickly. And I always used to think, why is that? Um, why is it happening to me? Am I the only one? And what does that mean? Is there something wrong? I just never made that connection back then. Actually, there's a reason for all of this. There are you know, various types of people and, and, and qualities that we have. I just didn't make that connection. I always used to think there was something wrong with me. So I would go out of my way and try and um, talk to strangers, talk to people. But I always felt it almost felt artificial. I struggled. I really struggled to pre- create and and maintain accusation. And and so and, and so I always felt out of sync in a in, in a in, in a social environment, in a social setting, even in a work environment. But like I say, it wasn't until I got into this kind of leadership or management role where now all of a sudden I had people to manage and mentor and and kind of delegate work to and tasks. I realized actually I really need to understand what is all of this about so that um, I can actually get into this space where I am recognized as a manager who can really manage and lead my team. Um, and, and so that's how I kind of got into the whole piece around leadership, leadership grades. What does it mean to be an introvert and an extrovert? Um, and, and so I started also scanning my environment and le- looking at people, you know, how do those who are already managers, who already have those experiences, how do they come across? And like I say, what was interesting for me is that 
most of the managers or leaders I actually met were the exact polar opposite of me. You know, they were oozing with confidence. They were extroverted. Uh, they had apparently answers to everything. And, and, you know, I used to scratch my head thinking, wow, I wish I was like you, but I don't know how to be like you. But conversely, I also observed there were other kind of leaders, the quieter ones, if you like, they had a team, they led. And I also kind of looked at them and, and observed how did they lead? And what fascinated me about them was that actually in a time of crisis, they always seemed to remain calm under pressure they were absorbing information or data presented to them, but they didn't just kind of um, make a decision on a whim. They were very, uh, you know, very kind of thoughtful and, and kind of took their time to come to a decision rather than kind of emotion let, letting take its course. Uh, and so the bit that really interested me about all of this, and I'm just going to kind of give you um, some facts here about, so I work in projects and in a project environment. And the um, Association for Project Managers, IEPM, the, the kind of project professional in the UK, they did a study where they, they um, highlighted 80% of projects fail. 80%. Now, wh wh why is that? I would personally kind of put that at the feet of project leadership because projects are being led. They're the people who do it, absolutely, but they need to look at some, you know, somebody to take leadership from, to model their behaviours, right? So it's the leadership of the project that are really failing. And it appears to me that we've had, and you see all, all, all the time in the news, major projects like HS2, like Crossrail, you know, the important project for the nation, but they're always coming well over budget, late in, you know, in terms of kind of delivery. Why is that? And it's, for me, it's about leaders kind of leading with too much emotion, but not actually being thoughtful and considering their environment. And so for me, the whole piece around quiet leadership, I would say, is around thoughtful thinking, really understanding the impact of your decision and what it will do the people who look up to you and actually making sure that when you make a decision, it's the right decision for everyone. So there was a recent study done on stress in the workplace, and it showed globally in the global workforce, 25% of the people feel stressed just about work, just the thought of work, 25% of the global workforce. Mm. That's a huge problem. The same study then went on to um, show that around over 80% of people each day are thinking about something that is very stressful for them, right? That's a, that's a phenomenal number. And then it kind of got me thinking, now imagine if you are a boss who knowingly or unknowingly is adding to that stress level of the people and the team you lead. How horrendous would that be, right? Um, so, so for me, the whole piece around quiet leadership and the bit that really resonates for me, and I think this is where also it kind of allows you to manage the stress level of your team as well and yourself, is be around, around leading by example, not expecting someone to do something that you yourself would not put yourself in if the role was reversed. Building trust having long sustained relationships, like it, it creates that harmony. 
it also builds integrity and shows others what kind of a leader you are, how honest you are, and how protective you are of the people that who work for you and, and, and around you. And I guess a final point around quiet leadership for me is the whole piece around calmness and the whole piece on resilience uh, during times of change and chaos. On, on those who, who really f- kind of are very good at quiet leaders, I see that a lot about them, how calm and, and, and cool and collective they are. So those are kind of some of my initial thoughts around quiet leadership and introversion. I, I liked your connection there. And through all the conversations that I've had on this podcast, the, the number one word that comes up time and time again is observation because you you talked about it with all the different traits that you described, but the the piece that you said, you scanned the room, you you observed other people, and that seems to be a core skill of quiet leaders and introverts alike. And then it's how you take that information to process it, adapt it for you and your own style, that, that's the bit that's quite powerful. And you seem to have done that. So I'm really interested in how you then made that connection from the observation, the calmness, the thoughtfulness to be in the role that you are in today. I must admit, I've done a lot of thinking and, and introspection and kind of, you know, throughout my career, how I've kind of changed over time. And I'm, I'm, I must say, I've... Uh, I've actually been very, very guarded most of my kind of professional life. Um, and, the, and the interesting bit around that is I've, um, I only show that side of me, which is very personal to me, to those who I've built a, a long and sustained relationship with. And I feel comfortable to allow them into that space, that safe space that I've created for myself. But, but, but the bit that kind of stood up out for me actually is when I, um, so when I moved into this management kind of role and where I had to kind of take a leadership position and, and, and kind of look after large, large teams, I realized that I need to now think about how I came across to, to those who now I work with and those who I now kind of manage. And so I, I used to go to a lot of those management and leadership courses. But the bit that I quickly realized was that actually those courses were really focused on the extroverted types. Um, and there really wasn't a space there for those of us who are quieter in our kind of, you know, nature, in our demeanor, in the way we kind of come across. And it's always when you go to those courses, you always kind of, again, that observation piece, the one who shouts the loudest gets the most kind of um, airtime and the others are kind of left out. And it's, it's, you just find that very peculiar. I always used to find that very peculiar. So those kind of courses never really um, worked for me and never really allowed me to kind of learn or develop myself as a, as a human being and a, as, as a leader. And there has been times when I had to overcompensate and, you know, act like an extrovert. Um, and I'll, I'll give an example. So, you know, in the last 18, 18 months or so, you know, you know, most of us probably have been working from home. I'm no mm. different. And um, um, I've got my makeshift office like everyone else. I've kind of settled in quite nicely. And, and so once in a while, my wife will come in um, and, and um, to kind of do something in, in the room, but she'll overhear me talking and, and she'll say, she'll make comments like, that's not you. 
<laughs> that's not you. And, and I would I would say to her, I know, I know it's not me. Um, but you know, I I I I'm almost I almost feel like I have to make that uh, attempt to talk the way I'm doing it and really engage and be interactive. But actually, at the end of it all, it drains me. Uh, but it's fascinating how uh, even my wife noticed. But again, it's just because I'm overcompensating. But actually, that's not my natural kind of uh, choice. That's not how I would, you know, in, in a day-to-day basis, that's not how I would be. I would be a bit more quieter, a bit more observant. And I prefer to kind of interact and engage in short groups rather than large audiences. How I kind of learned about how to kind of kind of become and and um, um, develop myself as a quiet uh, leader, it, I, I guess for me a lot of it was a bit of a trial and error and a lot of introspection. It's it's for me it's more about how do my team that the team that I'm leading. How how do they look at me and what kind of a person do they want me to be? I used to uh, be very direct and, you know, under the, 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 the insights, you know, the the um, red, green colors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you would you would consider me a red. Uh, but actually, that's not my preferred natural style. I actually prefer just because of who I am, harmony and consensus building. So if I was to kind of look at the wider leadership style piece that, you know, uh, Daniel Goleman has done, you know, um, the author of like Emotional Intelligence, and he talks a lot about styles and type of style. And if I was to look at the examples that he kind of talks about, probably fall into that coaching and democratic style of, uh, of a leader. Um, and it really does suit me well, because for me, it's more about listening, observing, really trying to understand other people's point of view. And where possible, it's more about me trying to provide support and provide guidance. And I do take the tough call. I do make the hard decisions. But in doing so, the way I kind of explain my position to my team is that, you know, I, I kind of tell them why I came to that conclusion and how I came to that conclusion. Um, and, and the bit that I've really noticed as a consequence of kind of explaining that to them is that I've actually won that respect they, and they trust me even more. Because again, I'm, I'm assuming so that from their perspective, other leaders may not have that time to kind of explain their decision. They just made it. Um, and that's kind of really helped kind of the whole piece around kind of building that trust again um, with my team. Um, and I think, you know, it goes back to my argument around trust is fundamental fundamental to relationship building. You know, it's, um, it's once you build that trust, your team is really on board and is willing to listen and go the extra mile for you. The fact that you've had a period or a journey of introspection, you know, you've done a lot of research, a lot of learning yourself. One thing I, I'm really curious about because you said you learned around about introversion and quiet leadership in your career later on as opposed to as a child so the things you've learned about yourself now do you now look back and put the pieces together and recognize that you were perhaps you know more of an introverted child yes absolutely um I you know I I always was a quiet person throughout my kind of childhood but again I didn't make that link until mm. uh, fairly, fairly later on 
but but the bit now in um reflection um the bit that kind of really kind of fascinates me now is that i always used to wonder something wrong with me uh, why do i always feel low in energy why do i feel drained why is it that uh, you know i'm i'm naturally a morning person i am bubbling with energy and then it peaks off and then you know before you know in mid-afternoon you know i'm slumped on my sofa i'm really trying to you know uh, uh grasp for uh, air and breath right and um, but i never made that connection um until i really got into trying to figure out what makes a person tick why do we behave the way we behave and how does it all link back to that whole piece around kind of you know um human development psychological growth and and the impact actually part of your childhood probably had had on a lot of us so the, the one bit that kind of i wanted to add actually was around the piece around resilience um and again the environment that i mean this constant change constant change every every other day there's a curveball just when you think you have a plan and you know how you're going to um take that plan forward and and bring it to fruition something else comes and you get another knockback but um i remember a few years back i i was on a on a leadership course a, a development course and i was given an an executive coach and once a month i used to meet with him um, and we used to have some some fantastic conversations uh, just around my kind of thoughts what i'm feeling um, and he would very expertly kind of dissect it all for me and said this is this is how you know you you're coming across and he used to crystallize it for me in a way that i never um, been able to do on my own but what i i remember one one session where i was really frustrated and i was airing out all the pressure i was feeling and and all the change and i and i kind of explained that you know i just feel like i got to the point where i've now had at that point i think it was my seventh boss in a in a in a span of 4 years so that you know that's almost like every 5 to 6 months Yeah, you know yeah. that start again build that relationship reset start again build that relationship and because i am someone who likes to build that sustained relationship just when i'm about to get to know my boss for whatever reason he or she has moved on someone has not come on you have to reset and he was draining and he was so kind of stressful and i and i remember explaining that to my coach but the bit that really stuck even now in my head was how calmly he kind of said to me you are the only one constant in this sea of change and you are the one who's keeping your team going such a profound moment and because I, i was too busy in my head framing it around stress and strain and pressure and relationship reset and restart but actually that's not how he looked at it and 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 that was an amazing experience to kind of sit back and reflect on it through that lenses and actually that the the kind of the 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 lessons i learned from a from a resilience perspective it's uh, it's amazing how does that lend itself now into your day to day work so one of the thing um, i've learned actually is that i prefer to build relationships and i prefer to build relationships uh, on a one to one um so i'm not someone to quickly network and move on that just doesn't do it for me i i i prefer that sustained relationship one to one um so that we're getting to know each other and we really build that healthy relationship um and i still kind of continue to do that um 
and it's you know and so part of my time is is on so um as an organization it's a very large organization there's about 7000 um, members of staff that work for national highways and we get a lot of new talent coming in you know graduates apprentices so i spend a lot of my time doing um, mentoring uh, with, with the graduates and really kind of showing them the ropes. And so all of that means, again, the whole piece around building relationships and taking your time to getting to know each other. I really enjoy it. It is draining at times. And I think the bit for me here is that the kind of environment I work in, you know, so far I kind of talked about my team and the interaction I have with them. But actually, that's one facet of the wider piece where I'm actually dealing with customers, road users, members of parliament, um, governmental departments, stakeholders who want to shout the loudest because theirs is the most important thing and, you know, I should kind of take their opinion and not someone else's. So you you kind of have to navigate and weave your way through all of that um, and then be able to make a decision. And that's hard going at times, you know, um, but... Um, Again, it's just for me, I just need that longer time to think and let it process so that I can actually effectively make a decision. But the engagement piece can be actually time consuming at times. So how do you manage those interactions and engagement with each of those different stakeholders? Because are you having one to ones all the time or how does that work for you? So it's um it's a blend of everything depending on so you know if I'm meeting with you know um local um, MPs for example that will be like a one to one very kind of close session if I'm meeting stakeholders um, local house authorities then that would be kind of bigger large meetings uh, and also you know um, I would also meet with members of the public because we build roads um, we manage the roads and sometimes a road design for example may go very close to someone's house or, or their land and we may need to buy their land and so there's that interaction and, and building that relationship with them because actually that kind of projects I deal with, they take long time. They take years in the making and planning and delivery before you even go to construction. In the meantime, you know, this member of the public is trying to understand the implication and the impact on their home or on their land. And what does that mean for them in terms of compensation and, and so on? And, and so having those conversations with them and building their relationship and actually take them along with me as we kind of um, deliver and, and, and plan out. Um, and it, it's, it takes time. And if you can imagine some of the projects, we have thousands of landowners, thousands of um, homeowners. Um, and so I can't be there for all of that. So uh, I have a larger team as well who works with me and we kind of manage it. So recently we had um, some public consultation. And because it happened um, just when we were uh, easing the, the kind of coming out of the lockdown, but, but as we were planning for it, we didn't know which way it would go. So everything was going to be online and virtual. And in the end, it was a blended part online, part physical events with the kind of um, safety kind of measures in place. Um, and so loads of people coming to those meetings, you have those interactions with them. 
um, on a one-to-one -one basis, or they will come as, as families and as groups, and there will be some raw emotions, understandably, mm -hmm. because what is your project going to my, to my village or my town or, or my home? What does that mean for me? And so you have some lively kind of engaging conversation. But the bit for me, though, is, um, and the one thing I've really learned about the whole piece is, is all about empathy and really listening to the other side and trying to understand their perspective and their point of view. And then kind of taking that away and seeing, well, can I design something out and ensure that I don't impact them? And if I have to impact them negatively, why is that? And can I now go back and explain that so that they also understand? Not always easy. It's it's very mm. difficult. Uh, sometimes it's, you feel like a bit of a punch bag <laughs> from all sides. But yeah, I try to stick to my core principle, which is build that trust and allow that honesty and integrity to kind of come through. And actually, you know, as long as you're authentic, people will recognize that and, and will appreciate that from you. So you have the the honesty and the transparency and the empathy before you meet groups of people. So I know you've done some talks to a wide variety of people. How do you prepare for those events beforehand? For me, I actually need a longer time to think about what I'm going to say, how am mm. I going to present? And so, you know, if, if I was to be told, there's a, um, a radio interview required, they're interested in, in, in your project. Um, and if I'm given a day's notice, <laughs> panic sets in. It's like, but I need some time. Um, but the good thing is, you know, the organization I work for, you have fantastic people who, who are trained in those kind of things and they give you the cue and, and kind of mm -hmm. what you need to say. But something like presentation to a, a wide group of people that really for me needs, needs some kind of long time, lead time to be able to go away, think about what I'm going to say, how am I going to say, how am I going to present myself? And then actually for me personally, then kind of going through that and playing it out uh, and making sure that it kind of makes sense to me in um, almost like a mock presentation just to myself and almost preparing and psyching myself up for it. So that's how I kind of present and prepare for a presentation. And it's never wracking for me anyway. You know, it's, you know, my heart's kind of pumping away, you know, this, you know, precipitation, palpitation. Um, but, uh, but the interesting bit for me, though, Julia, was that um, I have colleagues say to me, oh, that was amazing. That, you were so calm. I didn't even, you know, you weren't nervous. And I'm like, are you sure? Because I was sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. You're... In this role now, what's next for you? With everything you've learned, all the projects you've managed, what would you ultimately like to do? What's your big dream? That's a, that's a really good question. I think for me personally, I'd like to really kind of leave behind um, a positive legacy. Mm. You see, I get to work on some, some amazing, amazing projects that um, have the potential to make a huge difference to a variety of stakeholders, to a lot of people, you know, just to the UK economy as a whole. Improving the road network allows people to use our roads more reliably and more safely. Uh, but for me, it's a bit more than that now. For me, it's, uh, you know, with, with the current um, crisis, our climate change, for example, environmental degradation, uh, carbon um, emission. Um, it's now for me, it's really thinking about how am I making sure the projects that I build and leave behind 
will really kind of stand the test of time, will, will kind of show the sustainability credit mm. and have really considered the impact that they will have on our environment, resilient to climate like flooding, for example. If I, if I have done that, then I've, I've really kind of um, yeah, left behind a huge legacy and that would be my ultimate dream. I love that. How will you know when you've left that legacy? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think how will I know is it's, it's, it's the feedback I get. Mm. It, it, when I drive through um, the completed project, the pride I feel. And then there's a bit around winning all the awards, like winning all the construction awards, mm-hmm. the project management awards. Um, um, yeah, so, so um, and, and the safety awards, because I want to have an in, you know, impeccable safety record as well, mm. you know, harm nobody on our network, make sure that our workforce go home safe in the world. All of that is, in, you know, is, is, a, is an important kind of piece um, and, a, and a legacy for me as well. You know, how, I don't think uh, I'll be able to sleep at night when I, if I knew someone on my side was harmed as a consequence of the action, you know, or one of my actions, perhaps. Um, and it does happen, you know, in construction sites. You, you, mm. you, you, you've seen the kind of site. Mm. Um, mm. Um, so, so that, you know, I really want to make sure that the sites um, are, are safe, that the people do go back to their loved ones at the end of the, um, a working day um, safe and well. Um, and yeah, and generally just kind of winning winning awards um, as as I as I go and um, open the roads up to uh, people to use. Your top three tips for our listeners, because you shared so much in there around why I describe as the essential skills. Perhaps if you if you could whittle those down into three things that you've learned that have had the most impact on you, what would they be? The first one I would really say just be yourself. You are unique. Don't try and fix something you think is broken mm-hmm. because it's not. You are who you are. And actually, excuse me, it took me um, a long time to really understand this. But now that I do, I, I feel more content, more relaxed, and I feel genuine and authentic. And it really comes through mm-hmm. as well. Um, so that would be my first tip. Great. Really be who you are. You are unique as an individual. And don't try to change for anybody. The second uh, tip I would say is uh, the, uh, a bit around, you know, you, we, we talked about legacy and, and dreams a, a while ago. A bit around give something back. Uh, for me, you know, giving something back, um, um, and I, I do that through mentoring. I do that through a lot of work with universities and schools. Um, a lot of work I do with um, some of the institutions I'm a member of. Um, and um, it fills me up with pride, you know, mm-hmm. when, I, when I'm doing students and graduates and postgraduates and kind of giving them my expertise and my experience and, and kind of my guidance and, and, and kind of see how appreciative they are of that. Um, and I wish, you know, when I was going through, you know, my studying, but, you know, um, that someone was there for me. I agree. Um, and you get so much more back for yourself than you than people think. Really a rich experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I guess the, the final tip would be keep your mind healthy, you know, by reading, keep your soul healthy by meditations and prayers or, or whatever feels right for you and keep your body healthy by exercise. Uh, or even just go for a walk in nature. You know, unfortunately, we, we have this very sedentary lifestyle. 
um, and before you know it, you know, you've, you've, you've had hours and hours sitting on a chair, especially working from home, and you don't realize the time's just run away with it. So I would kind of say, really kind of focus on your own self at, mm. at time. Really take a break and go for a walk and do some exercise, do some reading, do some meditation. It will really make you wholesome and whole and alive. Mm. I love those tips. Anybody can do those things. Thank you so much, Shah. I really appreciate our conversation today. Thanks, Juliet. Thank you for listening. I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more. I challenge their thoughts to create possibility. Anyone can be part of the conversation. Leave me a message, ask a question and connect with me.